let's look at five essential education experiences that you can create for customers to grow your business. Welcome to the Customer Academy Playbook, where we dive into the specific strategies and methods companies are using to drive customer engagement, increase sales, and decrease support overhead, leveraging customer education and training. I'm your host, Matt Tidwell, the founder of ThinkThrough, a creative agency helping companies outteach their competition and build training customers love. We work with SaaS and tech companies, nonprofits and government organizations to deliver customized online training to thousands and tens of thousands of professionals each year. If you're a part of marketing or sales or customer success, the conversations in this playbook will deliver practical advice on taking your customer education programs to the next level. For CEOs or founders or solopreneurs, we'll dive into the how and also the when you can start using customer education to drive results in your business. All right, on to today's episode. Let's get started. So here are the five key experiences. Let's start with the most obvious one, perhaps, and that is virtual live events. You can actually drop the virtual and just have live events. Virtual live events, what are they? Well, they're more than a webinar, and they're really deep dive sessions or a a very specific topic-focused event. And it's really going to give folks practical information and guidance. Some great brand examples. Let's pull some up. We've got ClickUp. So ClickUp University, amazing platform, and it really showcases how you have webinars, meets, on-demand education, and all these sorts of things. But they do have a collection of on-demand events, and every week they have a weekly series and a monthly series where they're revisiting similar topics. So it's a great way to jump into their world, their ecosystem, if you're a new user, and you can start to not only meet with the ClickUp team, but you can see other folks using ClickUp and like the questions they ask and things like that. Refine Labs is another example, and they have several live events here. They have State of Demand Gen podcast, which comes out of that. They have all sorts of stuff. So Demand Gen Live, weekly episode series where they just have an open meeting, have a forum. You register, you're in the room, you're participating around the conversation. You can even bring questions and ask, all that sort of stuff. So it's it's guided, it's moderated, it's live, and it's from real people who are really doing the thing. Circle, I'm a huge fan of Circle Communities as a platform. Circle also has a great uh, community program. Of all things, they use Circle to host their community, but they also use Circle to host their live events. You can join, participate on the Circle platform in the event. Let's talk about the pros and cons of virtual events. Pro of a virtual event, I think, is to it's one step toward building a real authentic connection with your customers, right? And I don't think anything will replace the actual live, true in-person events um, that we've seen. But as we move into a hybrid model or a virtual first model, this is a really great way to have real people at your company interacting and engaging with folks. And also, if you have a great host, if you have someone who's super familiar, you have that rock star on your team that just knows how to explain things really well, knows how to like understand what customers are really saying without saying it, those types of folks are awesome at hosting these types of sessions. So it might tag team it, but having great hosts means it can be a little less structured, a little less planned, a little less overhead on your part by putting these together. And finally, these virtual live events are just a great way to test a training idea. If we think about MVPing your customer education, one of the best ways you could do that is simply host a live event around a topic and see what the feedback is. If you get great feedback, great engagement from your customers, 
that might be the topic that you want to turn into an on-demand program or you want to turn into a certification or a premium offering or experience. Virtual Live's a great way to test your content, a great way to build connection, and it can require less prep if you have great hosts. All right, on to number two. Second experience type is the cohort. So if we expand our virtual live concept, cohorts can really be an incredible engagement strategy. Where they work best is when you're moving groups of similar customers through a defined experience or path, right? And so the benefit of that is there's a group of folks moving through it together so they can learn from each other in addition to having to learn from the facilitator or the expert, but they actually get to connect and engage with their peers. From a revenue perspective, if we think about if we're going to commercialize training, uh, cohorts, I would say, potentially offer a higher ticket value uh, than some on-demand or some virtual live trainings in that they're longer in duration, you know, helping contribute to the value, but who you get with you in that cohort can dramatically increase the success or the return on the investment uh, for a cohort in a commercial sense. You're combining on-demand, you're combining real people interaction, combining resources, a lot of good things there pretty high value uh, proposition. Some great examples. Uh, let's see here. I've pulled up Disco and Disco is an amazing, well, it's a platform for hosting cohorts and virtual live events. So they do a really, really great job of, you know, curating events and showcasing those things and moving people, their own customers through a cohort, showing them the power of what cohorts can be. Disco, uh, Burnson Academy. There's so many things to say about this group, this organization, and Josh himself partnered with a couple of different organizations here to bring Burnson Academy to life. Again, moving professionals in a cohort sense through a common core of experiences, but then letting that cohort take shape based on who's in the who's in the experience. And then product-led growth, truly a, a cohort-based experience. What's really neat is they do things in a cadence and a schedule. So it's not just open enrollment forever. If you want to join a particular cohort, they really kind of time box that. And what I think the biggest output of that is, is that you now have enrollment windows where you can put a lot of energy around getting enrollments into that cohort and then you kind of roll off that, you know, initiative, roll off that marketing effort and focus on the success versus having just a catalog of on-demand where everything's always on sale and you're always kind of pushing that. Uh, you can really develop a nice cycle with cohorts and product-led growth is an excellent example of doing just that. We've talked a lot about the pros of that just in conversation, but let's list some out here. So I would say the peer-to-peer -peer learning is definitely a pro. It really enhances the experience. It's not a one-to-one -one relationship anymore. It's a one-to-many kind of a campfire approach. And I like removing the expert from the experience. And it's we're learning as we go through this together. That's a really special kind of pro. Um, the other thing is because we have so many different types of experiences, there's an opportunity for much higher engagement, right? If we architect our cohorts well, we can have different types of content, different types of experiences, and different types of assignments, if you will. Uh, which really is going to kind of play to each person's strengths and how they're learning, how they're experiencing the content, and how they're kind of upskilling or growing in that, in that path. I think there's much higher engagement, much more than your video library where you click play, you mark complete, and then you take a quiz. Cohorts are really kind of a next-level approach. Let's look at the cons. So you have a great cohort. Let's look at the realities of it, though. Cohorts are going to take a lot more effort, potentially, to put together. 
Um, you could have just guided conversations, you know, and say like, hey, register for this topic we're going to discuss for the next three weeks on this. That could be pretty loose, especially if you have a great host. But if you're, if you're saying we are exploring this particular topic and each week we're doing these things, gets to be a little bit uh, more labor intensive. There's a little bit more prep needed. You've got to combine your live stuff. You've got to combine take home or in between session activities. And then you probably have like on demand, you know, content resources as well. So a little bit more prep. The other con that's also a pro, but it's, it could be a con depending on how it works is the success of the cohort relies on the interaction and engagement in the group. Um, and so if you don't have a great plan to foster that engagement with the group, you essentially have people logging into a Zoom each week, not really making the connections, and you're kind of lecturing again. So kind of going back to a virtual live event status, and a cohort can be so much more than that. Without a great plan, that higher price tag can start to fall flat if you don't creatively foster that engagement. So I think that's really, really important. And technology can be a challenge. Um, Disco, one of the platforms we looked at here just quickly, uh, is, a, is a platform like that. You'll also see programs like Monthly. Uh, that's a platform dedicated to month-long learning experiences. Um, there's others out there. I know Skillshare has some project-based, uh, cohort-based learning programs. Creative Live does as well. Um, so there's plenty of examples. But if you're spinning this up for the first time, technology is uh, potentially a challenge, right? And so some learning management systems might require, you know, an additional plug-in or an additional strategy to kind of structure the plan for cohort. You might have to automate some tools using like Make or Integromat, Zapier or something like that. You might have to automate some registration information between those things. Nothing too crazy generally, but you may have to do that. So just know that depending on your infrastructure and tools, it might be a little bit more set up. On-demand courses, I mean, that is generally what people think when they think of online learning. Logging in, there's a course player, I'm watching videos, consuming content, maybe taking a quiz, leaving a chat, something like that. And that is on-demand content. On-demand programs have an amazing upside, right? Like you don't need people necessarily to run them, kind of are always evergreen potentially. So there's a ton of reasons why as a business you want to implement on-demand education, on-demand consulting, things like that. And they really do have a positive impact on customer success especially if you're thoughtful in like what are all the pieces that we need to bridge in order to get our clients like really really operating at the level that we want every customer to be at like we want maximum utilization of our product we want maximum licenses if you're really thoughtful about how you structure your customer education program you know you can build a lot of on-demand courses that really bridge the gap you can just create very micro niche focused topics customer self-direct you could then get to learn what customers like, and now you're off to the races. You can start to create more content like that. Let's talk about continuing education. That is a real benefit in on-demand course world. Some folks, some industries have to continually learn and prove each year they've attended so many sessions or so many hours of learning. On-demand is a great way to get into that ecosystem without always having to have the overhead of an expert on call facilitating those sessions. Let's look at some examples. We've got HubSpot. HubSpot is one of my favorite examples of customer education. They do an amazing job. Highly produced content, really practical, tactical advice, and 
they have found some really unique ways to pair education with the levels of service that you purchase from HubSpot. So they directly correlate and tie license fees and sales to what you can get certified in. It's brilliant. So now you have customer education actually enabling sales and vice versa. And so you have a really neat kind of partner ecosystem there. Drift, also a marketing uh, automation, conversational marketing platform. We did a full academy breakdown over how their platform works. But again, really largely an on-demand catalog, both created for on-demand and repurposed from other virtual live events, things like that. And then Reveal Data, just caveat, a customer of ours. Um, Reveal Data has done an excellent job, I think, at creating persona-based certifications. And in their industry, being highly skilled, highly qualified, and a certified individual on particular technologies goes a long way for consulting agencies and firms and financial services and different things like that. All their customer types goes a long way in really helping those B2B uh, organizations kind of set themselves apart. And so certification is really a unique differentiator, I think, for them. And again, that's all done on demand. So really great way to have a massive impact with a lean customer education team. Pros, you got fully automated delivery. Just touching on that with Reveal Data. I think that's perhaps the biggest superpower of on-demand courses is you invest all this energy up front, you have a, an asset that will then live and serve your business well for months and years to come. You don't have to have someone physically present and you can automate the registration, enrollment, certification, delivery, all the communications around that. It's amazing. You can also use that for onboarding sequences as well. And so if you think about the first 14 or the first 30 days in your product or your service, on-demand is probably one of the most efficient and highest impact ways that you can get customers to like really fall in love with your product, really fall in love with the mission, the brand, find answers, and get what they need really quickly uh, in an on-demand way. That is a huge pro, fully automated. Second is it's a similar development effort. At the end of the day, if you are producing a virtual live event or you're producing a webinar or something like that, I mean... You've got to write this stuff. You have to you have to get outlines. You have to get notes. You probably have to design graphics and slides. You have to think about the resources. So we're doing all that. If you can just find a way to package that. And speaking of packaging, the third I think the third benefit of on-demand courses is if you build them well and you think about packaging and modularizing them, you can really create a world where you can mix and match lessons to create new learning subjects. You have to be thoughtful in how you craft your scripts have to be thoughtful in the learning objectives and how those could stack, but you could build a micro catalog that can then be kind of reorganized. And now you have all these new tracks, all these new certifications just by building it once. I think there's some real creativity there. Some teams are doing that really well. Now let's look at the cons. What are the potential downsides of on-demand courses? First, depending on how far you go, the development effort can be pretty high. We work with folks that have really interactive product simulations. Uh, we actually help build those out, but you know, there's a lot of hours that go into building those simulations. The good news is, is that if you have your content outlined and you've already tried to test and experiment using virtual live events and things like that, if you already know that's going to be a successful topic, you can kind of hedge the development effort knowing that folks are really wanting to engage in that or go further on the subject. So the second kind of downside to on-demand training that I see is you lose the energy of having the person in the room, 
right? There's something magic that happens when you go to a trade show or when you go to a conference, when you have a virtual live event or you have a cohort and folks are engaging in real time with each other. And on-demand courses really have a, you know, there's, there's a separate feeling there. You kind of lose that magic. Now, if you have a great host, if you have a great instructor, you have someone who could really kind of move you through those pieces, you still have an amazing learning experience, right? But having that peer-to-peer, that ability to ask questions in real time, all of those things can get lost in on-demand training. And finally, I think the last thing, and this really impacts, I think, a lot of technology companies, is that content gets left on the shelf and it expires, right? We put all of this energy and effort into building an asset like an on-demand course, an on-demand program. Uh, Maybe we host virtual live events and repurpose that content, but it goes out of date. And if you don't have someone that's committed to making sure that catalog is cleaned and up-to-date and relevant, uh, you could start directing a lot of customer attention to a place that's really not helpful. That could actually have a negative impact. So you need a thoughtful, skilled person who's going to make sure if you have new releases in the technology world, have new releases, that you're updating that content consistently and kind of looking at the impacts across that. All right, experience number four, customer communities. Uh, communities are kind of the, the new it thing right now. And so you have platforms like Circle and Tribe and Discord and all the things where people are you know, facilitating a community and, and really building an entire business on being the connector or the information provider or the uh, network, uh, essentially. What's really neat about communities is that they start to create little pockets of the internet where the world comes together around a topic. And so I think communities shouldn't be underrated. They do take some time, but I think they could be a really powerful addition either if you're just starting an initiative like this, community might be a great first step, or if you already have a really robust catalog, community could be an amazing layer on top of that. So let's look at some examples. We've got uh, the DGMG, Dave Gearhart Marketing Group. Dave has an amazing community. He's got all sorts of resources, swipe files, all sorts of things. And, you know, again, focused on B2B marketers exclusively and building community around that. You know, Dave here has built a really great ecosystem of newsletters, articles, resources, premium content, Q&As, all sorts of stuff. A really rich community. Smart Passive Income, uh, clearly a leader in uh, everything on demand, you know, internet business, an amazing community hosted on Circle. Uh, And I remember when Circle first kind of made their big splash and came uh, into the market, SPI was one of the first companies that they worked with. And again, a really great example of what community can do to build or enhance a current business. Uh, MakerPad here is an amazing uh, community for no-code developers. And so if you are at all interested in building anything, integrating tools, all sorts of stuff, but you're not, you know, a true programmer, uh, this is an amazing resource, one that I, I actually personally use all the time. They were acquired by Zapier. Again, just shows the ROI of building a place where people around a particular subject are going to come and get together and talk and learn about a particular type of activity. All right, so let's look at the pros of building a customer community. So first is you develop a hub of people that are likely either your customer or who should be your customer, right? So if you're building a community over automotive service departments and improving efficiencies of dealership service lines or whatever, if you're the only hub on the internet for that and I'm leading a department in automotive services, then 
there's a really good chance that my questions will mean more to those folks and we'll have good discussions and it'll be a really niche space as opposed to going to you know a dealer management system and just kind of getting the general sales content so that could be really interesting another example of that might be if you are a graphic designer and you want to get bigger clients i think the future thinking about community the future kind of a spinoff of the blind agency, right? Like they have an amazing resource, an amazing community where they're helping real creative entrepreneurs build something that's really sustainable and build a business in a, in a really thoughtful way. You're developing a hub all around a topic that your business can potentially serve. It's a really great thing. So if you cultivate that correctly, you're going to build an amazing asset, one that's going to enhance not only the value of your own business, but I think you know, that's an asset that even larger businesses, especially if you think about mergers and acquisitions, would really like to see. And again, MakerPad, prime example of that. You can also find new ways of, you know, enhancing or improving your product or service. It, it removes the kind of obscurity of service tickets and support desks, uh, and your customers will appreciate that and reward you for that. One of the other benefits is recurring revenue. Uh, memberships, more than on-demand courses, more than cohorts, all that. Memberships kind of have an innate tendency or predisposition to being um, membership-based model. So folks are used to paying monthly fees. They're used to paying annual fees for access to that content and that experience in those people. And so if you don't have recurring revenue in your business, communities around what you do, around the folks you serve and what they need, could be a really powerful way to bring a recurring revenue stream to your business. It also adds, I would say this is another benefit, it also adds another layer to the other existing learning methods. So if you have on-demand courses, adding a community layer to that could enhance the experience, increase the ROI, increase the ticket value, improve success for your customers. If you're doing cohorts, you kind of have community built in within that group, but maybe you have an alumni, everyone who goes through that cohort, and you have a larger body of folks who've been through that program and could help you build the next phase of the thing that you're building, right? So... Um, you can definitely layer it on. And then the final thing is uh, with a community, you have a dedicated audience with which you can experiment new services and products with, right? Uh, you can give them early access. You can reward them for being a part of your community. At the same time, they're helping you build more valuable and meaningful um, services and products. And so I think that that is also a really special component that on-demand courses don't really get you, that cohorts potentially don't get you, that not having any customer education doesn't get you. I think it's a really special thing. Let's look at some of the challenges or the cons of customer communities. So the first is the effort. You are going to have to foster the community. You're going to have to have a plan, a roadmap for what the stages of a community, uh, the growth of someone in your community look like. It's not a set it and forget it business model. I think a lot of people say, I have an on-demand course. I just, it's published. Folks, I run a Facebook ad, I run a LinkedIn ad, they click, they buy, boom, I got a business. And then let's just slap a community on there and see what happens. And then it fails, right? You really do need to be thoughtful if you do have catalogs of things and you want to involve a community in that. You got to be thoughtful about how you roll that out. It's going to take some effort. The other thing is moderation. You know, in a cohort, because those are live experiences, you can kind of filter and, and guide in real time. Um, when you're doing something asynchronous, or you're doing something at different times using an internet platform like a community platform to have those conversations. You're going to want someone from your team or you potentially to have a way to filter through things and ensure that conversations are thoughtful and that they're positive and beneficial, right? Having a moderation plan is a good thing. 
All right, number five, probably goes without saying, social and public channels are a great experience for customer education. What I mean by that is when we think about customer education, especially within an existing organization, an existing entity, when it's at its inception, you're probably working as a marketer or you're probably a salesperson or you might be someone in customer success. Like you're kind of in another role and you're like, what can I build that is education? What can I build that is our program that is not the other things, right? So if marketing is doing webinars, I might be doing something totally different. You know, I want to build my own thing. But having your LMS, having your training portal, having your community platform, like all those things are good, but they all require one additional step. You have to get people to that property, to that website, to that URL in order to get them to engage. There is an underestimated, potentially underestimated, I don't want to say it is, there's a potentially underestimated benefit in taking the content out of that LMS and getting that on the channels where folks already are, right? So if we think about like a hub and spoke model, if the LMS or the CRM and LMS are the hub, you know, we're going to go out to Spotify. We're going to go out to Apple. We're going to go out to Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, Reddit, all the things. We want to take what we've got and get it in as many places as possible and then start to bring people back into our hub. I think a lot of people say, I'm releasing a course, I'm releasing a course, I'm releasing a course. We have product training. We've got partner training. We've got these things. But they're not closing the loop and going back to that marketing team and saying, how can we repurpose the assets that we've just made or how can we do this thoughtfully even upstream first? before we make the asset, how can we do that and then connect the dots so that when we launch these products and these programs, they're going everywhere. They're not just in our little gated you know, hub of things. If we think podcasts, YouTube, short form content, Instagram stories, all that stuff, here's some great examples of that. Uh, let's look at Business Made Simple. Donald Miller noticed this. They are actually taking their lessons and repurposing them. Uh, so you'll start to see where they've extracted and reformatted content from the learning. Again, I'm paying for the learning. I'm paying for the platform, paying for the experience. But they are repurposing that and distributing smaller micro segments of that across channels, which I think is super important. Let's also look at ConvertKit. ConvertKit has an amazing community around it and they have an amazing product uh, for creators to deliver newsletters and landing pages and all sorts of things to help grow their business they also have just an incredible customer education program and so you'll see this surface not only outside of their community you'll see this in their written content and then you'll see this across social channels they have just an amazing instagram and all the other things uh, youtube included so definitely check out business made simple and convertkit i think those are brilliant examples of commercial customer education distributed across channels the pros are customers are already there right so the biggest challenge of any customer education department is usually how do we get people into it how do we get people to our destination how do we get them in our course behind the paywall registered signed up cohorts all that blah customers are already on instagram customers are already on youtube and customers are already on linkedin and reddit and any other platform that you want to insert here so go there it removes the first obstacle right if if building awareness and, and being known is the first obstacle just go where they already are you're starting to remove that break that down it's affordable right so one of the biggest pros of having your own infrastructure your own lms your own ecosystem your own community platform is you own it you get to control what's published 
don't get to his social channels, but you have to pay for all the ownership of that. So go ahead, use them. It's free. Use the benefit of free. It's affordable. Great way to start. And on the social platforms, I think the last thing here is on the social platforms, community is also built. I think YouTube is probably one of the premier examples of having a community around a person, a channel, a brand. And if you want to build something in a free environment and then move that to a hosted environment where you get to control that, that's a really natural progression kind of evolution of the business model. And plenty of examples exist where people have done that very, very successfully. Uh, let's look at the cons. If you leverage socials exclusively, if you're leveraging these platforms exclusively, you are limited to the platform and you're limited to whatever algorithm or whatever um, you know restriction gets imposed. You're not as in control as you would be in your own LMS, in your own community platform, in your own site ecosystem. Second, distractions are high. And what I mean by that is if you have a dedicated space, if I'm going to a destination to learn like a business made simple or like a Drift Insider or a HubSpot Academy or a ClickUp University or any of the things, if I'm going there, I kind of have a very specific focus. And it's like I'm accomplishing a goal while I'm here, which is great. On social, we don't necessarily have that, right? Like how many of you have started a YouTube video that was like the most important thing you'll ever watch in your life? And you're like, oh my God, I got to watch that. And then, you know, 45 seconds into it, you're scrolling on the side and you're like, oh, that's a really good video too. And then boom, there you go. You're gone. So distractions are high, which demands really engaging content. And finally, I think the last con, if we want to call it a con on social is the lack of brand control. At the end of the day, it's still the platform's brand first and you're the secondary brand. Whereas if you own that platform or license that platform or customize that platform for yourself, you are very kind of brand first on that platform. So if that's important to you, that is a con of social media. But I think for myself, at least, and for our brand, it's worth taking that risk. It may not be a con for you. It just depends on how you view it. So these five customer education strategies, uh, when deployed thoughtfully, when used and stacked and organized uh, for your particular goals and objectives are used, you and your organization are really gonna have a meaningful education experience and I think a really thoughtful way to help customers progress in their own journeys and also with your products and services. And so I think a lot of good can be done by thinking about these five experience types. See which one could be a really easy point of entry for you or your team and then start to implement and stack momentum, adding a layer as you go and building a really thoughtful thing. Again, I'm Matt Tidwell, founder of ThinkThrough. Check us out at thinkthrough.co or join us again in the next episode.